There was once uh, an ancient Persian called Ali Hafed, and he owned a very large farm that had orchards and grain fields and gardens, and he was a very wealthy man. And for a long time, he was content, and he enjoyed the wonderful things around him. Uh, But one night, Ali entertained a guest who told him about diamonds. And he told Ali Hafed how wealthy he would be if only he owned a diamond mine. And Ali Hafed went to bed that night no longer content, because all he could think about was diamonds. And craving a diamond mine, he sold his farm to search for the rare stones. Uh, He travelled all the world over. Finally, he became so poor and so broken and so defeated that he committed suicide. Later on, the man who purchased Ali Hafed's farm uh, led his camel into his new garden to take a drink. And as his camel put its nose into the brook, the man saw a flash of light from the sands in the stream. And he pulled out a stone that reflected all the colours of the rainbow. The man had discovered the mine of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mine in all history. Uh, If Ali Hafed had simply remained at home and dug in his own garden, he would have had acres of diamond instead of dying alone in a strange land. That's a tragic story, isn't it? (laughs) Of someone who searched the world for contentment, who wanted to find joy in diamonds, and he was sitting on it the whole time. But the truth is, so many can be like Ali Hafed. We may not be searching for diamonds, but everyone, or nearly everyone, to some extent or another, is searching for contentment, for joy, aren't we? That's the point of life, surely, to find joy. And people search high and low for it. Uh, They search for it in wealth, uh, in possessions, uh, in gold, uh, in travel, in food, in drink, in relationships. Uh, The list goes on and on. The ways in which people are trying to find contentment. But the Bible teaches that the secret to contentment is actually not far from any one of us. We don't need to climb up the high mountains. We don't need to search down in the deepest deepest depths. Uh, We don't have to work for decades to earn enough money to be content. Uh, The secret of contentment isn't far away from any of us. And the secret is given to us in this chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So please turn with me uh, to this chapter and we'll see what we can learn from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And notice what Moses says, or God says through Moses. 
in verse 1. God says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the the Lord swore to your fathers. God speaks to Moses. He speaks to the people. And he says, if you humbly follow me, if you listen to my word, if you don't turn your back on me, I will give you a land, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Bible describes it. And God makes abundantly clear that if they want to be happy, if they want to be secure, if they want to be prosperous, they must look to him. That is the only place where contentment can truly be found. And that command is repeated again later in the passage, and four times, in fact, in various ways, God exhorts the people, encourages the people, commands the people not to forget him because he is the key to true and lasting contentment. But whenever we're reading the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, uh, we do need to be careful. Uh, We need to be careful when we're reading the Old Testament because I don't know if you've ever noticed Uh, But the Old Testament teaches some very strange things. Uh, If you were to open up uh, the Bible, in fact, even in the book of Deuteronomy, you might read, for example, that uh, men are commanded not to trim the edges of their beard. Well, I've broken that already this morning. Um, Elsewhere, it says that if... Uh, you wear a clothe, clothing of mixed fibres, uh, then that is against God's law in the Old Testament. And again, I'm breaking that right now. I haven't checked, but the label, I'm pretty sure, is a mixture of some sort of polyester and whatnot. And I'm sure most of us are the same. Uh, and there are many commands like that in the Old Testament. And you may have even heard people um, say things to you, like, and I've certainly had this um, when we've uh, been in the street um, in Edinburgh or wherever, um, sharing the gospel, and people say, you call yourself a Christian, but you can't even follow your own book. And they point out the mixed fibres or the trimming the edge of the beard or any a whole range of different commands that God gave them in the Old Testament. And they say, we're hypocrites as a result. The problem is, it is they, not us, who do not understand what the Bible teaches and sadly a lot of Christians don't either and some Christians don't have an answer when these objections come up but the answer is that the laws given to Israel in a certain place at a certain time do not necessarily apply to us living today in the same way Uh, it's much like laws given in England 500 years ago uh, are not binding today Uh, I I believe there's even a law which says that Christmas is banned. Uh, And I'm not sure it's ever been taken off the law books. Uh, But obviously it's not binding today. Uh, Different time, different people, different situation. Um, Give another example. Uh, Sometimes parents give rules to their children which no longer apply when they are grown. Um, 
Children have to do certain things, and they ought to do those things. But once we've matured and grown up, those laws are no longer laws. Sometimes in the Old Testament, some of the things God taught the Israelites were symbolic things which taught them about something, the reality which would come later. Uh, Things like the temple. God commanded them to build a temple, but later we learn that Jesus is the temple. The temple in the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus in the New. So we have to be very careful how we read the Old Testament. Don't just open the Old Testament, pick a verse and say, I must obey that. We have to read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. Uh, The New Testament sheds light on the Old Testament so that we can understand it rightly. And the New Testament explains to us what the Old Testament was all about. And in the Old Testament, we see a theme coming again and again and again. Uh, The people of Israel, the Israelites, journeying from Egypt into the Promised Land... They were commanded to follow God with their whole heart and to obey the laws that that God gave to them. But something always got in the way. That thing was sin. And that is, in, in a nutshell, the story of the Old Testament. God commanding his people to love him, to follow him, to be faithful to him, and they continually turn their backs on him. They reject him, they forget him, and they go their own way. And time after time after time again that happens. They, they enter the promised land eventually, but then they are cast out of it because they will not follow God. Sin was their abiding problem, a problem of their hearts. The problem was not with God, it was with them. And so even in the Old Testament, God promised to solve this problem, to solve their problem of sin. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, God says this. He says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And similarly in Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will sprinkle sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God said to the Israelites, there's a day coming when I'll make a new covenant with you and I will forgive your sin, which creates this barrier between you and me. I will forgive it and I will give you a new spirit. I will give you a new heart, a heart which loves me, a heart which wants to follow me. And that was, of course, fulfilled when Jesus Christ came into this world. That's what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. We must have our old heart removed, not our physical beating heart, but our heart which is sinful, which keeps turning away from God. We need our sins forgiving. We need our sins forgiving. 
and we need a new spirit. We need a new heart that we might walk after God. And that's what Christ accomplished. He died on the cross. He took our punishment so that we don't need to take it if we trust in him. And then he gives us a new spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit. The same power which rose Jesus from the dead, God gives to us, to all those who will trust in Christ, who say, I'm not going to rely on myself anymore. I'm going to rely on Christ. And God gives us a new spirit. And he enables us to keep his commandments. He gives us a new supernatural power to obey him. And when we understand that, then we can understand Deuteronomy chapter 8 in the way that we should understand it. And when we realize what Christ has done, we see that what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 still applies to us, but we must not forget Christ. When God says to us, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. That applies to us, but in order to obey that, we need to come to Christ. We need to run to him. We need to have our sins forgiving first, and we need to be given that new spirit which God promised. And then, and only then, will we be able to obey this command. Uh, Christ's death and resurrection does not remove the command, It enables us to fulfill the command. Does that make sense? That's why Christ came, not to get rid of these commands, but that we might fulfill them rightly. And when I say that, obviously, I mean commands like the one given in verse 1, not the commands to do with beards and whatnot, which were all pictures and symbols of other things. So what God says in verse 6, for example, applies to us. Also, look at verse 6. It says, Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills... You can dig copper. God promised them a land. As I said, a land flowing milk and honey. But God promises us a land as well. God promises us a land which is, to an even greater extent, flowing with milk and honey. Not merely a plot of land, somewhere in the Middle East, which lots of people are fighting over right now, but an eternal land, a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, which we've been looking at in 1 Peter, if you've been with us the last few weeks. But don't don't think of it like God doesn't bless us with physical things and instead swaps it with spiritual things. No, it's saying that the physical things we enjoy here are just little tastes of the greater joy that's to follow. Um, It's like the difference between uh, a child enjoying a toy car and an adult enjoying the real thing. They're similar. There is a similarity between the toy car and the real car, but they're not the same. (laughs) 
Uh, once you're an adult, you know which one you prefer, I hope. <laughs> we want the real thing. Israel, the land of Israel, which was given to the Israelites, was a picture, a wonderful picture, an enjoyable picture. But it was that, a shadow, a picture of the true reality that was coming later. And when it describes the brooks of water or fountains and springs or valleys and hills, I hope when you heard those words, your heart kind of leapt within you. Because we all love those sort of things, don't we? The fig trees, the pomegranates, the land of olive oil and honey. Uh, Hopefully one of those things at least you like, your palate likes. And these things are pictures of the eternal life which we can only have through Christ. The promised land that Israel enters was no more their final rest than the temple was their final temple. All the sacrifices were their final sacrifice. That's coming later. And so we, like them, are also walking through the wilderness. Uh, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And that's why Peter, in First Peter that we've been looking at over the last few months, that's why he describes us as pilgrims and strangers in this world. Uh, because nothing in this world lasts forever. We're going to a better country. Uh, we're traveling to a better city whose builder and maker is God. And that's why we experience griefs and hardships in this world. Uh, Today we're celebrating harvest, and I prayed earlier that God fills our hearts with joy and gladness, and he does, doesn't he? Sometimes. But other times, life is hard. Life is difficult. Uh, We struggle to make ends meet. The harvest isn't good. Uh, These things happen as well. And it's to teach us that there is a better land coming. Don't set your heart on this world. But while we are walking in this world, God blesses us in wonderful ways. Did you notice that in the chapter? How God described how he looked after the Israelites. Look at verse 4. God said to the Israelites, your garments did not wear out on you. They went through the wilderness, and we all know clothes get tatty after a while. They get worn. We have to buy new ones. But as they were watching the wilderness, their garments did not wear out. Uh, God says again in verse 4, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. Walking through the desert, through the wilderness, their feet didn't swell because God preserved them. God protected them. Uh, Look at verse 15. Uh, Verse 15, God says, Uh, God led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. God watered them out of rock. He gave them what they needed. And lastly, verse 16, uh, he says, he fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. Uh, Food literally dropped from the sky to feed the Israelites. There was hardship. There was difficulty, but God blessed them and he helped them. This is what harvest is all about. It's about remembering that we have a wonderful God. Not resting in these things as though they are the final destination, but thanking God for his care and his concern and his love for us as we wander through this wilderness. And this passage teaches us how to celebrate harvest well. 
how we uh, enjoy God's gifts well in this world. In closing, I just want to uh, teach just uh, two points that Moses taught the children of Israel in this chapter, and they are every bit as applicable to us living today. And the first one is to be aware of the danger of blessing. The danger of blessing. I don't know if you associate blessing with danger. Uh, Most people don't. Most people want blessing more than anything else. But in this chapter, God warns that there is a danger to blessing. Look at verse 10. God says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land, where there was no water who brought water for you out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Do you see the danger of blessing? Do you see the danger of abundance? Do you see the danger of prosperity? We all want want these things, but the truth is when we get these things, it becomes all too easy to completely forget God, (coughs) to completely forget that it was he who gave us these things. Jesus told a story, didn't he? We've shared this with the children just recently in YPF about a man who had a bumper harvest a huge harvest, and his barns weren't able to contain all the wheat that he harvested. And he said, I will build bigger barns. And he said, I will take my ease and I will eat, drink, and be merry. But he forgot God. He didn't pause to thank God. He didn't pause even to think of God. He thought only of his prosperity and his riches. And what did God say to him? He said, you fool, tonight." Your soul will be required of you. And then who will all these things belong to? He was looking at the gift and he forgot all about the giver. And that's the danger of prosperity. When we're easy, when life's easy, when we're doing well, when we have a, um, we're in the green in the bank balance, when our job is uh, fulfilling and satisfying, when our family is family life is wonderful it's in those times that we can neglect god and we can forget all about him and god says to them and he says to us beware beware when you prosper do not forget the god who caused you to prosper or as psalm 62 verse 10 says if riches increase do not set your heart on them i love that verse it just says it in a nutshell doesn't it If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Don't get overexcited. Thank God. Enjoy them. But don't set your heart on them. Do not forget the God who gave them. So that's the danger of blessing. 
But there's another lesson which God taught these people. And he teaches us also. He teaches them the danger of blessing, but he also teaches them the blessing of danger. Look at verse 3. God says, or so Moses says to the people, So God humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Did you catch that? Verse 3 said, God allowed them to hunger. I think, what sort of God's that? God allowed them to hunger? God, to, in some sense, wanted them to hunger? That's what verse 3 says. And he gives the reason. And he says, so that you might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God allowed them to hunger so that they would cry out to him, so that they would know that their every need needed to be supplied by God. It wasn't from their own hand. It wasn't from their own doing. It was God's. And so God allowed them to go through danger. He allowed them to go through hardship so that they would cry out to him. Did you notice what? Verse 16 says, chapter 8, verse 16, Moses says again, God fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Crucial three words there, in the end. They had to go through many difficulties wandering through the wilderness. They had to endure much pain and suffering and heartache. But God did it. God allowed it so that they might, he might do them good in the end, so that they would cry out to him and rely on him more. And again, that's not just taught in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament as well. Um, in fact, it might be helpful if you turn to this. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uh, he describes a, a similar situation, but in his context, not wandering in the wilderness, but as he was preaching the gospel to others. And uh, did you notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? And he says, uh, if I can find her the right verse. It always disappears, doesn't it, when you need to find it? I have to quote it from memory. If someone else finds it, you can shout to me. Uh, but God said, and Paul says in these verses, oh yeah, it's verse 9, uh, verses 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That, or so that, we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Uh, Peter says it was difficult. It was hard. 
Uh, we were burdened above our strength. We had the, it was like they had the sentence of death in ourselves. But God allowed that so that we would not rely on ourselves, but rely on God. That is the blessing of danger. That is the blessing of hardship. God sometimes makes us go through scary times, anxious times, difficult times to cause us to call out to him. That's why Psalm 119 verse 71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees or I might learn your commands. Psalmist says, It was good that I was afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It's interesting he says that afterwards. He doesn't say it during. During, generally, we can just think about the problem itself. But afterwards he says, no, it was good. It was good that I went through that, because it taught me about God. So in conclusion, how should we be at harvest? Uh, How should we be this harvest day? Uh, Well, the lesson's simple. We need to remember God. We need to remember God. As we rejoice in all that God has given to us, let's not remember the gift, but forget the giver. Let's thank him, as we already have in our our songs and we will in a few moments' time. Let's praise him for all that he has done for us. But at the same time, let's prepare for a time where it may not be, we may not be so prosperous harvest may not be so great that we might learn what God has to teach us whether in plenty or whether in harvest Uh, I love Proverbs chapter 30 verse 7 and 9 or 7 to 9 Uh, in these verses the uh, wise man who wrote them I forget his name uh, but he writes uh, these words to teach us how we should view the gifts of this world Uh, he says and he's praying to God He says, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, God, don't make me prosperous or don't make me overly rich in case I forget you and turn away from you. But he also says, but don't make me poor in case I'm tempted to steal and to turn away from you in that way. He says, give me what I need. Give me what I need so that I might keep looking to you and keep remembering you who is the giver of all good gifts. So so receive prosperity, receive God's good gifts as a blessing from him. But hold on to them loosely. Don't set your heart on them. As Thomas Boston put it, famous Puritan, he said, Let the mantle of worldly enjoyments hang loose about you, that it may be easily dropped when death comes to carry you into another world. (laughs) It's a way of putting it, isn't it? Let the cloak, let the clothing of worldly enjoyments hang loosely upon you. Enjoy them while you have them. They won't last long. So that when you come to die, when you come to enter into a greater inheritance, you may not regret the things that you left behind. That is how we treat prosperity as we ought to treat it. 
And with those thoughts, I've chosen as our last hymn, and on Harvest Service, we can't really not sing this hymn, can we? It's number 830. Uh, 800, find it in the book. 830, we plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hands. So let's stand to sing uh, this hymn as we close our service, number 830.